podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You spend seven years glamorising something in your head, missing it, wishing it would come back. It finally returns and all it does is kick you in the zipper. Thank you, Arsenal. Thank you, Porto. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, my name is Rory and I'm joined by my very good friend... Adam, and as the famous song goes... Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be, we're going to Wembley. Que sera, sera. Rory, I'm in emotional mood at the moment. It's fair to say I went through 90 minutes of pain against Bradford City. But we got the job done. We're actually turning up at Wembley. First time Wickham have actually gone this far in the competition and I couldn't be happier despite the stress of work. So, Rory, I'm glad to be here on this pod with you this fine evening. But more importantly, mate, how are you doing as well? I'm very good. I'm very good, thank you. Despite this week couldn't have gone much worse if I'd have like kind of <laughs> planned the a terrible week myself. Um, but let's focus on your good okay. week because I feel like I'm going to have plenty of time to moan about my bad week. Wickham yes. in a final, taking on Peterborough, bit of a grudge yeah. match. Um, they are in Wembley. Yeah. This is going to be incredible. It's going to be so exciting for the fan base. Uh, we haven't had a lot to cheer on based on our league performance, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the moment it kind of dawned on me that we were going to Wembley was when I told my little boy this morning that we were turning up at Wembley and his face lit up. He was ready to go there. He knew what Wembley was. And I think that means I've done mm-hmm. a very good job as a parent. Um, that's all I can yeah. say. Um, but yeah, I cannot wait to take him there and... Yeah, there's so many stories about our squad. You know, we've got players like Freddie Potts, who's on loan from West Ham. He's going to be the next Declan Mm -hmm. Rice by all accounts. Um, He's showing his performances. He's too good for us. Although we say to West Ham fans, he's not good enough and you have to sell him to us. So that's what we mean. (laughs) He's he's terrible. terrible. You don't don't want want him back. back. Um, But the real beautiful story, Rui, I wanted to tell and share everyone is the story of Richard Kone, who we got from the Essex kind of leaks this is the story of someone that was playing in the homeless world cup only three years ago and it was his through ball that set up the winner yesterday for wick and wondrous to go in um he's a kid that was basically without a club pretty much turned up in the uk and just tried to get himself signed by a senior club uh he went through the obviously non-league route and he was suddenly picked up by the likes of Brentford and West Ham on trials. They tried to sign him, but unfortunately, due to permit issues, they couldn't sign him. So basically, he's been going through pub leagues. He's been playing in the Essex kind of leagues. Um, and Wickham kind of noticed his talent. We've tried to get him on a permanent basis about two years ago. Um, unfortunately, we had to oh, go wow. through a Bloody lot hell. of legal permutations. And we managed to get him in January transfer window after went through so many things, including deregistering from a pub league team as well um, to get him to sign <laughs> because the FA wouldn't let us officially register him as a player until we'd done that. Um, so we managed to go through those loopholes. And there we go. The guy could not be happier. The amount of tweets he was sending wow. last night was incredible because that I think it was just that realization he's turning up at Wembley one of the big occasions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like it was so fascinating this story. I, I can't give it enough justice, Rory. But I, all I would say is to listeners, 
have a look at Richard Coney. He's a fascinating individual and warm-hearted as well. Mm. So I cannot wait to see him blossom because that guy is definitely destined for bigger things than Wickham. That's for sure. Um, But yeah, Rory, we've also got a really heartfelt story in Italy, haven't we, as well? Well, exactly, yeah. The the kind of loving and the reasons why we love football doesn't stop there. Now, there was a video that went viral last last week yeah. um, of a 84-year-old Taranto fan called Carmine, who was, well, not only a fan, a super fan yeah. of Taranto, has, has gone his entire life watching Taranto. Now, of course, with along with many other uh, lower league Italian teams, the club is in financial ruin, and there's been talk of them moving over 280 miles away to play their home games because they weren't able to afford a stadium. The local local authorities weren't allowing it. Now, there was an interview with him that went viral. It was really heartwarming. It, you know, it was just really yeah. heartbreaking, the video, to be honest, where he was just saying, you can't take this away from me. Like, if you take this club away from me, this is the reason why yeah, I, I live, I, yeah. why I'm alive. I've gone to watch them every week of my life for 80 That's years. Incredible. Like, you cannot move them away. You cannot move them away. Well, thankfully... The, the video going viral has made a huge difference. Um, the club have given him the VIP treatment and Brindisi's Mayo, which is only 40 kilometers away, so only about an hour, um, has said that they can play their state, they can play their home matches there, so he will still be able to go and see the games. And I think it's just really nice that there's a happy ending to this video, to this story, because it seemed like it was just going to be another horrible story about a lower league club. But thankfully, mm. there's a reason to smile, and hopefully Carmine gets to see happy days or happier days at Taranto. Um, but yeah, I just absolutely love that story. And I didn't want to talk about it until I saw it had a happy yeah. ending. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to see how this one plays out before I bring it up. But thankfully, it is a happy ending. So yeah, we'll be keeping an eye out for Taranto's results, I suppose, Definitely. and see how happy Carmen is going to be. Um, but there is plenty there to is. talk about in this show. Uh, there's plenty to cover. Um, we're going to be talking about the Champions League, of course. Uh, talking about Porto and Arsenal. We're going to be talking about the Spanish champions taking yeah. on the Italian champions and why it didn't feel like it was that. We'll be talking about Inter and Marco Anatovic making a huge difference. Um, and the other game in the Champions League has now escaped me. We will be talking about what was the other game. So we'll be talking about... Uh, I'm just trying to think. PSV Dortmund. Yes. PSV Dortmund. I have done my research, <laughs> listeners, I promise. That just slipped my mind, I think. Um, we'll, of course, be covering the Premier League action as well, with Man City and Liverpool picking up massive wins. And then, of course, there will be the Serie A and Premier League previews and the Tiki Taka Toe quiz. So, guys, lots to get through. That was about a minute explaining what's about to come up, <laughs> right? Was- so, we're going to take a very quick break. And after that, we'll come back with the Champions League. So Rory, let's start off with the Champions League and we'll start off with your very own Arsenal. Uh, The reason why we're doing it in this format is we need to relieve some tension out of those shoulders, Rory, because I feel there's a bit of rant coming on. Um, But let's start off by what was your initial thoughts about the result? Are you disappointed or was there a bit of naivety from your team in terms of the way you went about the match? The the result is obviously super disappointing, but not a surprise. I think with when it was heading towards a nil-nil, I was like, okay, 
Okay, good. Nil-nil away from home at Porto. Like, even when the draw came through, a lot of people were like, oh, Arsenal breeze through this. And I was like, look, and I think, I think I've said this in previous pods. I'll have to go back and check. I don't think I was ever arrogant about it. But this is a team that are very, very experienced in the Champions League. Obviously, yeah. there's harder draws, right? There's definitely harder draws. But there are easier draws, right? They're a very experienced team. Um, when you look at the Arsenal, if you don't look at the name Arsenal and you look at that team that we had, the only player that had previously played in the knockout rounds of the Champions League was Kai Havertz. Mm. Every other player, it was their debut in the Champions League knockout game, right? And I think that is the difference between... That is where this result comes from. So I think the result for me isn't a massive surprise. What's annoying to me is the manner of performance. I just felt we were so slow. We played into their hands completely. Um, Defensively, Saliba had a pretty shaky game. Um, We weren't as solid as always. I think Declan Rice managed his performance very well, considering he was booked in the first minute. He played very well, but him being booked in the first minute, I think, does change a lot in that game and his his ability to quite control so much in mm-hmm. midfield. Um, I just think we were too slow. Martinelli was terrible. Saka was terrible. Um, there was zero threat up front. This is the first time we've not had a shot in target in a game since 2021, mm-hmm. I want to say, or 2020. It was just a bad performance, but it looked like it was going to be a bad performance that we somehow got out with a draw. But it just wasn't to be. And in the end, it was inexperience that cost us. Like, it was Martinelli trying that clever ball. Yeah, like really trying a clever ball and not just clearing his lines. or Just keeping hold of it. Not even that, just retaining possession is as cost us in the end. And I think the only thing I can take from this is that the second leg is at home, (laughs) which is a huge bonus. And this, and I've said it before, this is a team that learns mistakes, like learns mm-hmm. from mistakes. I feel like this team learns quickly. And I think if you look at in the group stage, we lost to Lons 2-1, right? It was, again, a lot of the players, their debut in the Champions League, away from home, their first away game, and they go, and then we get them at home and we do them 6-0. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen with Porto, right? Lons are not as good as sure. Porto, but... The point I'm trying to make is that I think Arteta will look at that and the squad will look at that and go, okay, this is what we need to do now. And they're very good at implementing a plan and learning from mistakes. So I think there's definitely, hope is not lost, Mm -hmm. right? I think 1-0, we can definitely turn it around. You just better believe that the low block that Porto are going to put in for that game and the even more cynical fouls that they are going to fall down every time we get within six feet of them. It's going to be unbearable, but that's that is within their right yeah, to do. That is how they want to play the game. We need to get past it. And again, a lot of teams that we've played against this year have been low blocks. Last year, when we had an incredible season, we were just scoring goals for fun. Teams weren't doing the low block because they weren't that scared of us. This year, teams are more scared of us. They are dropping back. They are doing the low block. And we've now got to a point in the season where we're kind of good at breaking it down or we have a way of breaking it down. So I think, again, it's another factor that there are reasons to be optimistic. Mm. And beyond that guy hitting a worldie, it's an incredible goal, right? We've got to say it's an incredible goal. Beyond him hitting a worldie, we come with a nil-nil and nobody's really talking about it. They're talking about a mature performance in Europe. It's just that moment, right? But this is what the Champions League is about. It's about those margins. It's about those tiniest of margins. All I wanted to ask you, and obviously this is born upon this kind of quote from uh, Sergio Contessao. He said they wanted to play. We wanted to win. Um, 
did you feel that the team didn't give enough respect to the opposition? Because it felt like from the fan base perspective, and I'm not saying it's all fan bases, but certainly mm. I suppose it's not helped by the media building it up as well. There was that kind of clip on TNT where they kind of interviewed some of those fans on their kind of plane rides as well as being over there in Porto. They were already assuming it's going to be a whitewash 4-0, 5-0. They were talking these crazy results, right? But when you look at the kind of context of Porto have been unbeaten for 10 games, right? So obviously there was no sense of respect almost because there was the one clip that I saw, which was absurd, Rory, was Arsenal fan TV, which I don't give a lot of respect to. But there's this one geezer that was like, they're basically like Burnley, but they're just a Mediterranean version of Burnley. It's like, Jesus Christ, this guy is not really appreciating. Like, And Robbie kind of challenges him and says, look, this is a team that historically they've done well in Europe. You know, They've won the Champions League. They've won the UEFA Cup. We should be giving them a lot more respect. And he said, well, Burnley, they've won a first division as well before. Like, we, Should we be giving them more respect as well? It's just... Yeah, it did feel like there's an air of audacity about Arsenal because of the results that they've been gaining in the last few games and that kind of maybe boiled over in this match. I think from fans, almost definitely. And I've said a million times, I completely understand why fans of other teams fucking hate Arsenal fans. I completely get it because I hate a lot of Arsenal fans. We are loud. When we win, we let everybody know that we win and we're the best team that's ever been. And when we lose, it's the end of the world. And I completely understand why people hate us. And But also, we're a club that gets a lot more attention than a lot of other clubs. And Muppets, like the people on AFTV and that fucking Lee Gunn or whatever <laughs> God, his bloody yeah. name is, get, get magnified. Because for some reason, Arsenal attracts knobheads, and people might include me in that bracket as well. I don't know, but we do have a lot of knobheads in our in our amongst us. But I think from the club, there was definitely no air of arrogance or we're going to turn up and win this. I think Arteta, his whole game plan shows that there was no arrogance. It was let's get out of here with a nil nil. He knew that if we opened ourselves up and if we went for that, Porto would tear us to pieces. Mm. I think. The, the whole game plan shows that Arteta didn't think this was going to be an easy game. He knew that getting out there with a nil-nil would be fantastic, and then we can do them at home. Yeah. So I think the plan hasn't really changed, mm-hmm. right? The only thing that's changed is that Porto's plan in the next game is change, going to yeah. change, right? They're going to adapt it differently. But even if we even if we go 1-0 up, 2-0 up in the, uh, in the yeah. next leg, Porto won't change their game plan. Their game plan will still be back. catch yep. them on the break we will get a chance and we will be able to take it. And I think, look, if you look at early on in the game as well, Galeno, the guy who got the winner in the end, should have scored. He hits the crossbar and then the rebound. I still don't know how that didn't go in. Like, my heart stopped. Like, it looked like it was on FIFA and there was a glitch. I just don't know what happened. It didn't go in. And it bounced back to him, didn't it? It was just incredible. It was insane so i think look if you look across the game as well i'll tell like arsenal didn't have a shot on target um porto dealt with our set pieces incredibly well and i think every game every manager in the premier league now is going to be studying how conceição figured out our figured out our set pieces because they kept ben white completely busy with his disruptor role and like they really dealt with us very well so they took away one of our major threats i think conse sour has done an incredible mm. job there very and clever. studied and been like this is how we stop them right and then it is just wait for that moment and 
there were so many players in that Porto team that impressed me. I thought Otavio next to Pepe. Well, let's just say Pepe impressed yeah, me, sure. right? At the age of 42, incredible. Shit, just that, that as an athlete yeah. and as a mentally, he's just light years. He can still read the game so incredibly well. And it just, I was really impressed with him. He managed to get Otavio. That was his Champions League mm-hmm. debut, right? Um, he played incredibly well. I thought the two wing backs kept Saka and Martinelli completely oh silent. Um, I really liked Pepe, the, the other Pepe, Pepe yeah, right? Exactly. Um, and Varela, the guy up front, was just showed so much quality. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of players there, as there always is in the Portuguese League. There's a lot yeah. of players there with a lot of quality where you're looking at them going, oh, okay. Weirdly enough, the one player that everyone was telling us to look out for, Evan Ilson, was the one who was actually quiet, more yeah. quiet. Um, there was, But I thought there was a lot of individual performances for them that really stood out. I really liked the wingbacks. I thought mm. they did such a good job. And just they didn't allow Martinelli or Saka to ever be one-on-one sure. with them. Yeah, it was yeah. just constantly doubled up, constantly doubled up. So I think we you have to just say fair play to Conceição. We absolutely got the game plan right. And for Arsenal, it just needs to be a lesson learned. Um, and just, I think at the Emirates, I'm I'm still not, I'm a bit pissed off about last night, but I'm not overly worried. Touch wood, yeah, 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 sure. right? I'm not like overly worried. I think at home, we should be okay. It's just a big lesson for the players because I think again talking about the arrogance of the bloody media at no point has any Arsenal fan I know said that we can go and win the Champions League well I've not heard it but no Arsenal fan I I have talked to has said that right most I think sensible Arsenal fans have said quarterfinals would be pretty good semi-finals would be fantastic right but you go on to BT Sport and they're talking about Arsenal as third favourites behind City and Real Madrid like, if don't look at the even the name Arsenal. We've never won a sod all in Europe. We've not won anything yeah. in Europe. We won a cup winners' cup in the nineties. So it's not even like it's there's pedigree there. So then, okay, you're not looking at the name. Then look at the squad. The squad are all incredibly young and haven't played in the Champions League before. How do you think they're going to rock up and just get to the final? Yeah, exactly. Like it. It just the arrogance in some of the media and the 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 it's the narrative um, the a narrative of this the narrative is just mm. insane and I think I like to think I'm a fairly sensible Arsenal fan I do get pissed off about Spurs and United <laughs> and whatever but I like to think that I'm fairly unbiased when it comes to things like this and I just think I, I, like fans on Twitter laugh at Arsenal fans because we think we're bigger than well, we are yeah. <laughs> like. We're the third biggest team in England, right? Behind United and Liverpool. But we've not won anything outside of England. So why would Inter or Milan or Real even look yeah, at us? Like teams that have won it seven times, 14 times, whatever. I just think the presenting in the media has just been mad, honestly. And like they're setting the team up for a fall. Because yeah. what they do is they go, oh, they should be getting to the final. This team could be getting to the final. And then when we don't, we get to the quarters it's, oh, they're a bottle job again. Well, it's not our fault you set unrealistic targets. <laughs> well, this is true. Like, yeah, you know no, what I, mean? no, I completely get I it. Think, I completely get it. I think, like, even Arteta, he wouldn't say to the team, right, our target is semi-finals. He would say, our target is to win it, right? Because that's what you do. do. But in his head, and the players will know, that the quarterfinals would be a successful tournament Massive, for their first tournament in back. Like... It fucking winds me up. It just—it's really wound me up, and it wound me up more than the performance <laughs> last night. Because I was like, "It's not our fault that you said something that was never going to happen." <laughs> like, I know, I, I don't quickly, know, just I don't to know. conclude, then, Rory, 
Um, do you think Arteta changes the personnel and the style of football, or does he keep to his philosophy? Well, it'd be interesting to see what lineup he goes with. It's it depends on we've got a lot of players sure. coming back yeah, yeah. from injury now. Um so we've got Yuri and Timber apparently just around the corner, which is gonna be super exciting. Um we've got Zinchenko coming back, uh Thomas Partey moving on. <laughs> yeah. Um we've got quite I think Tommy Yasu's coming back soon. So we've got the squad is filling out mm. a bit. Um I think Kivior, as good as he's been, might lose his place if Zinchenko is fit again, because it just gives us a bit more solidity in midfield. Kivior's been really good in that traditional left-back role, but I think he still needs yeah, time to develop, training yeah. up to to get there. Um, so I think it depends on personnel. Also, Gabriel Jesus as well. I think we might see the lineup that Arteta tends to use in bigger games, which is Jorginho in midfield mm-hmm. and Kai Havertz up top to give us a bit of presence. Because I think what we missed last night was someone up front who could hold the ball up. Trossard didn't have no. a great game. None of our attackers had a great game. But... Kai Havertz, you forget how physical he is, and he was just able to hold up. He is able to give us that focal point. So I think we might see him up front and Jorginho brought into midfield and just a bit more. That's tend to be that. That's tended to be the lineup for bigger games, and this is now a very big game. Yeah. Uh, but it's three weeks away. It's now more important that we win the games between now and then. To this be is honest, true. This <laughs> is true. we can think about Porto when we get there. Yeah. I think. Well, Rory, let's move on then to because the other game that took place yesterday was Napoli taking on Barcelona. Um, ended up in a one-all draw. Uh, Calzona was probably the happier of the two, uh, given the context of how well Barcelona played. Um, but we did see two great strikes, one from Lewandowski, one from Austin Men. Um, so it's a shared kind of p- uh, point at this point uh, of the tie. Um, however, obviously, Napoli have to go to Barcelona. And there's a crazy stat about Napoli and knockout rounds. So um, when they've drawn the first leg of a tie in a knockout competition, they tend to lose. So they in six time or six occasions, they've lost it. And three of those ties have been against Spanish sites. So the omens are against them at the moment, Rory. Um, obviously, it's hard for Calzona to do anything because he barely had a training session. He even alluded to the fact that he was keeping it nice and simple. And obviously, mm. you could see that the team didn't have a clue, really, in the first half. Um, they seemed to be stuck with the ways of Mazzari. Um, but in the second half, obviously, a lot of credit towards Calzona for the substitutions that he made, um, slightly changed the kind of way the game was going. Um, how did you see the game? I mean, personally, for me, I think there were some disappointing performances from a Napoli perspective. I think, look, it's the play getting any performances out of these players at the moment when it's all been so chop and change is going to be difficult, right? And I, I know I kind of dragged um, Anguisa a bit in the last episode, but I think there's like getting any, there's no form of consistency at the club at any level. So how can the players be consistent? But I think what is interesting is that they have kind of reserved, reverted back to the 4 3 3. They've gone for the like what they played under Spalletti and Saudi, and he's gone. He's basically kind of hit like a restart and gone because he was there under Saudi and Spalletti, but not the title-winning season under Spalletti, but previously yeah. under Spalletti. And he's kind of just gone. Okay, well, when I've been here, we've played four-three-three. You all know me. You all remember what the instructions were. 
do that, right? And I think that's kind of just been the... Because it was literally, he was still meeting dignitaries from the club yeah. the day of the game. He hadn't really had time to do anything. When Juan, he, Juan Jesus was interviewed, they said, what did you do in training? He said, some set pieces. And that was <laughs> it. Like, there was nothing. no time. So I think for them to get a draw against Barcelona is fucking huge. Like, mm. it's massive. And they can go to Barcelona now. It's not the new camp. It's the Olympic yes, Stadium correct. that they're yeah, playing yeah. in, right? So I think that does make a difference. Again, not looking at the names, this isn't the Barcelona that is like, you know, Barcelona. This is a Barcelona that's a bit all over the place. Um, it's a team that, like, if Napoli are ever going to go away and win at Barcelona, it could be now. And I think the fact that Calzona now has three weeks until the next yeah. tie this team is going to be in a lot much different shape then you would yes, hope true. than it is now and that they would have developed a few more patterns got a bit more of an idea so i think this tie is like really intriguingly balanced because i think barcelona we've seen are fully capable of shit in the bed like they conceded five to girona they've taken some big losses this year like they are perfectly capable of setting fire to themselves so i think there's definitely signs of um signs of encouragement there for Napoli, but they shouldn't have been in this game. Like, Barcelona should have won it in the oh, first yeah. half. And it says everything about Barcelona that they didn't, right? Yeah, I mean, for me, like, look, they really did have some intensity about their game. Pedri was unlucky with his efforts. And I think mm-hmm. it almost feels like that's uh, Napoli just didn't really know what to do with certain players. And it, it, it's baffling for me that Rory was, we're talking about, you know, Calzona and the fact that he's been brought in you would have expected something in the background to have been planned out for this kind of game. Like you would have expected the analyst to be part of the kind of, this is Mm -hmm. the players you have to look out for. This is the kind of things that they tend to do. This is what they all kind of shape up to do as well. And it felt like this was lacking. And prior to this game, Rory, as well, there was a piece in the athletic about the Lewandowski aspect and how um, there's turmoil in the dressing room. You know, he's not performed as well as probably anticipated this season, but there's been a lot of aspects that he's not been respected by the group, but also he also had words about Xavi and the fact that he changed the formation and said, you know, as a team, we're going to have to work harder because I don't have wingers to supply me opportunities, for example. Um, But I, I don't know if that was just being made a bit bigger than it actually was right because you look at that performance and you go mm. actually Lewandowski showed his prime there he showed what a lethal striker he can be if you give him space and Rachmani obviously loses him for that goal and leaves Juan Jesus with a difficult task of trying to cover him as well um, so I felt really disappointed by the likes of Farad Skelia Farad Skelia was really disappointing mm. on a night and that's the kind of game where you expect him to turn up and I think the decision of leaving Zelinski out of the Champions League squad is going to hurt them. I think this would have been a perfect opportunity for a spark within that midfield. Obviously, we know the politics behind it. We know why, um, because De Laurentiis is a twat. But apart from that, also, it's just more the fact that they don't like the fact that there's a player that wants to leave. Um, at this rate, there's probably going to be at least three that will leave in the summer. Um, but... Mm. I, I, I just I, I think Napoli are going to struggle in the next leg I can't I can't see them overturning the result and making it in their benefit I think Barcelona are going to win even if it's 1-0 Rory I think that's going to be all it's going to take and I can see them just shutting out the shot because you can see Christensen the way he was deployed as well was almost like I can be a backup fourth 
or fifth player in that mm-hmm. defence and the way they're going about it, I think that's what they're going to do. They'll shut up shop with players like Lamina, you know, Lamal, for example, and you know Pedri. The way they were going about their attacks, I, I'd be worried about Napoli. I think they need to concentrate on just being in the top four, top five mix by this end of this season. That's the way I see it. Well, I think the 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 next game is basically a free hit for Calzona, yeah. like the the Barcelona tie away. Like you, if you if you do something, Amazing. you're instantly yeah. a god. Like you've beaten yeah. Barcelona in Barcelona. I completely disagree. I think Barcelona will absolutely ruin this. <laughs> I think this is. I still think okay. people are thinking about Barcelona as if they're a rational, functioning team and club, and no, they're, not. they're not. They're far like, from it, it on any level. It. And I think. And I think at this, like, it's the battle between the two least functional clubs in Europe, arguably, at the minute. And I think Napoli somehow get through this tie. I can just see it happening. I can just see that they will, like, Osimhen or something, there'll be a moment, or Ngonj or someone will come on and there'll be a moment. Because I think Barcelona are perfectly capable of screwing this up. And it's not at the new camp. I think that is such a huge thing. I honestly, I think it's such a huge thing because the players don't go in with that weight on their shoulders of, we've got to go to the new camp and win at the new camp. Nobody ever wins at the new camp. It's like, no, we're going to play Barcelona who aren't currently in their own stadium and everything's right. on fire. Yeah. Right. So I think it's like, I think there's a, there's a chance there. We'll yeah, see. Yeah. I'm really glad that it's open. And I was, I was really, it was really like um, aesthetically pleasing to see the Osimhen and Lewandowski yeah. score. I was like, oh, the two best players on the pitch score. Exactly. That's, nice. that's, that's the reason why yeah. we wanted to watch this game, right? So that's it. Well, that's it. You want to see, if you watch Lewandowski, you want to see him score. If you watch Osimhen, you want to see him score. And Osimhen only needed one chance and yeah. he did it. So he is getting back to fitness. It'll be interesting to see how, how often he can play because he's still definitely not fit. But a big. Big night for Napoli there. Um, they were very lucky, but they got there in the end. Um, but elsewhere in Italy, I was so looking forward to this oh. game, and I had to convince I had to convince myself that I enjoyed it because it wasn't a good game. <laughs> but into one Atletico nil. Um, oh my god! What it was tense on out of it. <laughs> it was very yes. tense, wasn't it? It was very tense. Let's just talk about Arnautovic because I think it's an interesting um, thing about Inter squad. Is like their their depth is so good everywhere, right? So I thought obviously they were really struggling to break Atletico down, and Di Marco was very tired, and Darmian was very tired, and they brought on Augusto and Dumfries, and both of them had such an impact. Mm. Like instantly, Dumfries was absolutely just tearing into the box. Carlo Augusto was whipping balls in. And you could see, like, oh look, they've brought off the wing backs, brought on their spare wing backs, and they've they've yeah, improved, sure. arguably, right? Or they've got more energy. And it just showed to me where the depth in this squad is so good, right? Devry, a player who hasn't <laughs> yeah. featured massively yeah. this season, has kind of been in and out, came in, did a really good job. Um, and you're seeing the depth in the squad, like Fratesi comes on, mm. looks really active, right? The only although I had a few disappointing moments, but yeah. anyway, looks really active and the only area where they have seem to have no real depth of quality is up front. <laughs> and Arnautovic, of course, scores the winner because that's how football does. works. But <laughs> it took him about eight chances to get this goal, right? And that's the yeah, issue. Yeah, I think this was maybe a bit of an own goal from Inter in not securing a striker from January onwards. Uh, I just... Mm-hmm. I. <sighs> I don't know with Arnautovic if I see him necessarily as a striker. I see him as a hard-working kind of 
midfielder or attacking midfielder, let's say, mm-hmm. someone that can kind of spin off. And he does a lot of that kind of chasing down. And I think that's why Simeone Inzaghi really likes him because he does all the nitty gritty stuff that maybe he, mm-hmm. he gets as kind of similar or akin to Turam in terms of that work rate. But it's that touch, isn't it? That clinical touch. We saw Stoke City on Nautovic turn up on the night and you could see after the first chance where the ball gets played in from Chalanoglu, I think it is on the left-hand side, mm-hmm. and he kind of shins it off out and everyone kind of said, you had the goal gaping at you. If anything, control it at, at the very least, right? Yeah. Um, but there was a scene of like an Inter fan going, this isn't going to be our night. Like You could see that they knew it wasn't <laughs> going to be their night. And like you allude yeah. to, he had a hat full of chances and it was only what, fifth or sixth attempts when he got that break. He nearly he missed the goal missed he scored. It. it was an open goal and he nearly missed but it. But he managed to get in. That's what counts, I suppose. I was expecting personally Alexis Sanchez to come on instead of Arnautovic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think he would have added that bit of quality um, maybe it's just he sees that Alexis Sanchez doesn't have the legs anymore to do what he used to. But I think if you're talking about someone that can do the finishing to that kind of level, he is the best man for the job. But let's not mm-hmm. like hide away from also Anatovic gets some important tackles in as well. He buys some free kicks as well. And I think that helps. Yep, it. And I does. think obviously yep. the big thing that came out of this match was actually Rory. That I think Inter did a job on Atletico, although it wasn't very evident because of the way the match went on, they dragged out their players out of position. I think they really didn't come to grasp how technically well-enabled in terms of that inter-squad is, in terms of that shape, the way that they managed to rotate players. I mean, you, you talked about DeFry. There's opportunities where DeFry was almost in the kind of final third, where like that was insane. I think that confused the hell out of their players because they were trying to do a man-marking job and it didn't turn out like that because yeah. you ended up seeing the likes of Chalanoglu, for example, in the centre-back role and almost pinging the ball forward to create those spaces and opportunities. And I don't think Atletico knew how to get to grips with it. It was really one mm. of those where I think that was really clever by Inzaghi and a lot of people after the game were kind of commenting about how his style of football is definitely appeasing it was very fascinating to watch from that point of view. Obviously, it wasn't the best game, it's fair to say, and it opens up the tie for the next one um, because I think this is yeah. not going to be as straightforward. I can see there being goals in this one, Rory, but if there's anything that's been taught over the few years with Inzaghi is he is a cup coach. He knows how to drill yeah. these players. Even in worse circumstances, I remember, was it last season against Porto where... They had to go over there and do a job and they managed to do the defensive work that every single one of their players played it out. I can see a very similar performance happening at the Metropolitano mm. as well. Um, but yeah, are you maybe worried about what Atletico can do in this second tie? Because I didn't see much of them offensively and I wonder how they're going to do it in the second leg. I feel like look, Atletico are never going to be attacking no. away from home in a Champions League knockout game. That's just no, no, not no, going to happen, right? So let's just like yeah, pretend yeah, yeah. that that like that's never going to happen. But at home, now their group wasn't the hardest. Off the top of my head, they had Lazio, Celtic, and Feyenoord, yeah. right? But they scored a lot of goals, mm-hmm. and they scored a lot of goals at home, and they scored fantastic goals at home. Now, obviously, Inter are much better than all of those three teams that I've just put up, but. 
I think at the Wonder Me- at the Metropolitano, yeah. that's going to be a rough game. I think it could be a very different game to this game. I think it could be much more mm. open because Atletico are going to allow it to be yeah. a bit more open. I think so. I think it could be a lot more open, which will be interesting because that obviously opens up more opportunities for Inter as well. But I think Atletico at home is always it's going to be a difficult tie, and they have scored so many uh, so many goals at home. I think. A player that still, I think he had moments in this game, but again, Inter did deal with him very well. But I think again, at home, it'll be a very different proposition. Is Griezmann? Mm. I thought he he showed some real moments of quality for Atletico, but I think at the Metropolitano, he's going to have a much bigger impact on the game and a much more possibly cause a few more issues. I think this tie is like far from over. Honestly, <laughs> um, I think it it was a really like tactically, it was an interesting game, I suppose. If you're going to sit and be like, you know, let's analyze the yeah. tactics, it was very interesting. But to sit and watch, it, yeah, it wasn't a spectacular game. Um, I felt like the Lino, yes. Lino Souza yeah, yeah. for Atletico, had a particularly difficult evening. I felt like he did not play well at yeah. all. He got um, I felt like he. Yeah, it really did not go out for him. And I thought the, like, the midfield of Saul, Coque and DePaul, DePaul just wasn't really able to get okay, that. We used to be much more well. creative. Yeah, I felt like he wasn't really at his best either. So I think Atletico don't play as badly as they did on Wednesday, mm. uh, on Tuesday um, either. Um, but also we have to say Inter weren't great. No, no, no. Like... They weren't great by any stretch of the imagination. They were too slow in the build-up. Their final ball was all was just terrible. Like everything felt really stilted and really slow. And I think again, this was possibly a moment of a team being like, "Oh, we're in the Champions League knockouts. Fuck, we can't fuck this up." And it just, it, I got slight flashbacks to like old into where they used to get nervous, and it just looked so slow and so stilted. So I think a nil-nil here would have been perfectly reasonable um yeah. i think it's just that one moment for inter like obviously towards the end inter did start to push but i felt like in attacking wise they just didn't have that fluidity or that speed that mm. was necessary so it was an off night for both teams yeah and i think the turning point was that turam kind of injury as well because i think up until yeah. that point he was more of a threat for atletico they knew he was going to be a threat um but the moment he kind of pulls up you could see there was a sense of, oh no, we, we haven't planned for this eventuality. And this was really difficult because obviously he was teeing up Lataro for a few of those opportunities that you mentioned, whereby I think he overtakes or overdoes it with a few touches too many. For example, there was one opportunity where he laid it off and I think mm-hmm. Lataro should just take it first time as opposed to he kind of settles himself before he trying try to, I think he drags a shot wide. And this was the thing. I think Oblak isn't in the best of seasons. He hasn't had his best season this mm-hmm. year. Um, so this was a perfect opportunity just to test him from distance. And I think Latara, the form that he's been, he's shown it in previous games that he can shoot them from distance as well. So, But also we need to have a word about Barella. He had a fantastic game. Bastoni was fantastic mm-hmm. in the way he marshaled that defence as well. And Chalanoglu as well. I mean, the balls that he's ping about, and um, there's some fantastic stuff that he's come out with recently, isn't there, Rory? There is an interesting quote, and I would love to get your mm. um, your take on this. I think it's really fascinating. 
Um, Chalanoglu, I'm the best register in the world right now. Rodri's second and Cruz is third. Wow. Months ago, I said I was one of the best deep lion playmakers in the world. No one believed me. I know the qualities I have and I'm not scared of anyone. No one scores like scores goals like I do. They're not from five meters out. I score difficult goals and I never make five meter passes. I try, and, I try to send the final balls that lead to goal, but I can still get better i've also grown defensively i feel like his time with zlatan at milan might have rubbed <laughs> off on him a bit because that is some of the most big-headed now look chalanoglu is an incredible player right and we'll talk about how true we think this is but that is for someone who is bur- constantly burdened with self-doubt right i would love to have an ounce of that <laughs> confidence of like no this is what i do i do it well and no one else does it like me so shut up i really do admire it but adam We've talked about him for a while as one of the best midfielders yeah. in the world, right? Do you think he has a shout ahead of Rodri is the only thing where I thought maybe you're getting a bit ahead of yourself? I think there's definitely consideration to say he's one of the best in Europe at the moment. Um, whether it's within the register role, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. And whether, obviously, like you say, his confidence is definitely there. But I think just to counteract that kind of quote, I've got a really nice one about him being a bit more humble than that quote in itself. And it goes with, I feel reborn at Inter. I went through a difficult time personally for a while and they helped me here. They helped me mature as a man. Inter is something special for me. I can't explain it. It's just emotional. It's true I rejected Saudi offers. I love Inter. It's an enormous family. In the end, Inter had to decide, but I told them I wanted to stay. Um, so there's the other element of it that I think since that move across the city, he's actually become a better player and he's been reborn mm-hmm. in this kind of new role that no one kind of foresaw, but the ability that he's yeah. kind of demonstrated over the last three to two seasons and the fact that he's almost got as many goals as he had in the four-year period at Milan kind of shows you how influential he has been. And I think he's very underrated, personally, Rory. I think it may be an aspect that he plays in Serie A to a greater degree. Um, but I also think, mm-hmm. in terms of ability, if you put him amongst a Rodri, you couldn't say that's a more perfect midfield central duo at the moment in Europe yeah. in that respect. I think, yes, there could be arguments for the likes of Jude Bellingham on his day, for example, and that, Rory, I'm sure you probably put your very own Odegaard sometimes into the mix. But I think... Levels Sometimes. are Chalanoglu and Rodri are definitely at the top. It's just where, yeah. where where you see them personally and fitting into your squads. But yeah, he's superb. No, well, this yeah, I think him and Rodri are very similar. They are very similar players, I think. Or maybe Chalanoglu does try the kind of longer balls yeah. a bit more and does score more goals. But I think they're they're both very well rounded, just yeah. incredibly well rounded midfielders. We've said before that Chalnoglu does the defensive work, he does the passing, he does the shooting, he does the scoring, he does everything. So I think, it, yeah, he's probably not far off the truth. I just wouldn't quite have him ahead of ahead of um, Rodri. But I think Cruz. Cruz now is a weird third for me. I'll be honest. I'm not going to go through and rank all five, but I think Cruz in his in his, head, his prime yeah. was like number one, obviously. But I think. I don't feel like he's played that much recently. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, it, an interesting quote from Charles Oglu. He has had an, another incredible yeah. season. He is definitely up there, and it was another great game from him. Some of the passes he was playing were just, oh my God, unbelievable. Um, just, I, I don't know if there's a player at the moment who more makes me go, oh, 
when I'm watching football just from a pass. Yeah. I just go, oh my god, he just makes it makes me audibly react to passes quite a lot. So I really do enjoy <laughs> that part of his game. So thank you, Hakan. I really enjoy that. They might annoy the misses, um, but yeah, I really, I really do enjoy that. So great performance from him. Um, Inter, they take the advantage to, to Madrid, and that is the important thing when he gets to these stages elsewhere the last game PSV 1 Dortmund 1 we're going to do this very very quickly um Luke De Jong with a penalty and Daniel Marlon opening the scoring um that's all I really saw from this game Adam anything to say about all this I can say is based on the kind of summary of highlights that I did see um PSV probably unlucky not to have gone out of this tie with a win um Dortmund were pretty poor Lots of reports in Germany about Edin Terzic and that potentially a bit like the Bayern situation that they might see the door mm. off Terzic. Um, Rumours that the likes of Nuri Sahin might be uh, kind of his replacement for, as a temporary basis. Um, so it's not looking too pretty for him at the moment. Dortmund didn't play particularly well, but there's an element of they do this every season. They do, they come to these kind of mm-hmm. periods of time and they seem to struggle um, but the fact that they're still in the tie, I suppose, says a lot. And they've got to do the return leg at Dortmund. So that's probably going to work in his favour. Whether he's there for that tie is another matter. We'll have to wait and see. And much like uh, Thomas Tuchel's situation with Bayern, um, I wonder if he survives this weekend. But uh, Rory, yeah, PSV, probably unlucky. Chucky Lozano doing what he normally does, um, just turns up for these nights as well. So, yeah, I think you've got a few experienced players in that PSV side. In a PSV side, by the way, that are running away with the area Eredivisie as well. Just walking so at the, the moment, they've yeah. got that confidence. Apps. So, you know what? I wouldn't write off even PSV for this tie. I think they've mm. got a chance still, even though it's at Dortmund. Nice. Well, that is the Champions League action. I'm going to very quickly take you through the Cool Kids Club and the Even Cooler Kids Club. In the Cool Kids, cool kids Club, um, Carabag, with, wow. this was incredible, in the final minute of added time, I think it was. Um, yeah, the 120 plus two minutes, they scored to make it 3-2 and go through 6-5 on aggregate to wow. beat Braga. It was a hell of a finish as well from Ajunzada, I'm going to say okay. that is. Ajunzade, incredible goal. And Braga had scored in the 115th minute, too, so it looked like they were going through. Carabag steal it at the death. Um, elsewhere, I'm just going through quickly. Sparta Prague have knocked out Galatasaray massively 4-1. Galatasaray had someone sent wow. off again. They had someone sent off in the first leg as well. Roma Feyenoord is currently one all, so that's going into extra time as we as we speak. And Marseille have knocked out Shakhtar Donetsk 3-1. Aubameyang became the Europa League's top goal scorer this evening. Um, now 31 goals in the Europa League. He hasn't actually won the tournament, but he has got the most goals, which I thought was quite interesting. And Milan, despite losing 3-2 away in Ron, do go through 5-3. Luka Jovic and Rafa Liao scoring, but it was a bodygo um, hat-trick, two penalties that got Ron the win. But Milan won't care. They are through. Um, in the even cooler kids club, very quickly. Um, Adam, last time I saw Ledger Wall, oh my no, god, Ledger Wall, so absolutely, absolutely shafted. Um, <laughs> they've gone, they've gone. All we can say is we love yeah. the TFOs, that's all we can say. Did you see it? Oh god, they're so disappointing in Europe constantly. They get to these stages, mate, and then it just collapses. There's just a pile of shit when it comes to these games. I think they could probably just over-anticipated that they would do them over and within two minutes they conceded. So I think the dream was over from that moment onwards because then they conceded about 24 minutes later. 
game was over. The second goal was an absolute disgrace, the defending as well. Just, yeah. It just runs straight through the defence. Incredibly bad goal. Um, but elsewhere, Bodo Glimt were knocked out by Ajax 2-1. Um, Kenneth Taylor scoring in the 114th minute. A lovely goal, that as well, by the way. Um, but Ajax do scrape through. Um, Bodo Glimt were down to 10 men. Um, and Ajax were down to 10 men. Jesus Christ. Uh, Sutolo got sent off for Ajax as well. So, yeah, another a lot of red cards in Europe over these ties. Um, and I think there's no Italian teams to speak of. Not at the no. moment. No. Um, Union Chalagia was have knocked that, out Eintracht that's Frankfurt. A hell of a Bloody hell. For Belgium champions at the moment, it seems like. So, um, or elect at least. Um, so, beating Frankfurt, that's a huge result, Rory. In Frankfurt. God damn. That's an incredible result. Um, nice. Well, guys, as you can see, we're, we are reacting live yeah. to the results um, as we're scrolling through. But we are... Good. No, wait, we need to talk Premier League. Do we need to talk Premier League we, before we, we take a break? Let's go to break. Let's go to break. Let's go to We're going to take a very quick break and we'll come back with a very quick bit on the midweek Premier League action. And we are back. It is time to talk about the Premier League. And we have to talk about the worst week in history as Liverpool and Man City win. God, this week has been a kick in the dick. Um, so starting with, let's start with Man City 1, Brentford nil. Every time I get my hopes up, every time it's nil nil for a really long time, I think, right, today is the day we get a favour. Today is the day... No. that Brentford get a last-minute winner and Neil Mopai does, does something for Arsenal. But no, that robot, Ben gave them the idea with the reset yeah. and now they've reset him and he scored. Yeah. And they've won the game and it's really <laughs> annoying. And Adam, how do I deal with this? It looks like it's over already. This was inevitable, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, given the kind of recent circumstances, perhaps maybe that Chelsea result is the kick in the arse that maybe Man City mm-hmm. needed. Maybe it's that sense of realisation that they're not as good as they intended to be. And I think that would have been a bit of a awakening call for them. Um, but yeah, Brentford, the way they were form-wise, they've been quite placid in that kind of middle of the park, haven't they? And um None more so than in that particular goal instance. So, um, yeah, inevitable oh, enough. Christopher Ayer, what are you doing, yeah, mate? And this is a problem, I think, for print fans. They are a bit worried about their position now. Um, all I can say is that hopefully this weekend they can make amends for that. Right, Rory? We pray. <laughs> we live in hope. We pray that they can make amends for it. But I do have to also say, if you've not seen it, look out for the Bernardo Silva free kick because it is one of the most spectacularly bad free kicks (laughs) I've ever seen in my life. It is genuinely insane. Um, So if you've not seen that, search it out because it's fucking brilliant. Um, Elsewhere, Liverpool, they won. Mm. Obviously got the final this weekend. 4-1. Now, we wanted to talk about the fact they've got 11 (laughs) players out at the moment and they've still won four of their last five games losing to Arsenal, but winning four of their last five games. Um, Adam, it has to be, like, you have to doth your cap to the fact that Klopp is managing to um, still get incredible results with half his team. Yeah, 
and he's giving debuts to players that used to play with the opposition manager as well in uh, Jaden Dance, who his father was Neil Dance, for those that wanted to know that. And yeah, I remember, recall him being a cheeky little scouser. Yeah, for those who want to feel yes. old, that player you didn't think was that bad, Neil Dance, you didn't think he was that old. His son now plays exactly, for Liverpool. Exactly. Um, but yeah, if you look at the kind of starting eleven, you go... Jesus, what's going on here? They kind of going for the full kind of EFL kind of treatment here by uh, playing the kids for this particular game. But um, yeah, I mean, you've got to pay respect to uh, Klopp and the way that he's managed to get some energy for this match and <laughs> kind of revitalize the fortunes of this team because they've got the core kind of element there, Rory. I mean, the likes of Gapko, for example, Alexis uh, McAllister. And actually, to be fair, Rory, we saw the best out of Harvey earlier as well. Harvey Elliott filling in for Diego mm-hmm. Jota. We saw him kind of almost adapt quite well to that role. I saw for, in particular, his goal, fantastic finish, but also the way he set up uh, one of the opportunities. I think it's Gapco's as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, potentially, you know, Liverpool don't have to worry um, on this form anyway, Rory. Yeah. No, no, they're absolutely flying. I'm just looking through that team and it's just... It's insane, yeah. isn't it? Bobby Clark, James McConnell, Jaden Dans. They've got um, your man Connor Bradley at the back, Kwanzaa at centre back, Kelleher in goal. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, this is all youth products all, all as well. Like, yeah. fucking fair play to Liverpool. They're absolutely smashing it. Like, they're just smashing it. And you think this is, it's these results and these kind of things. Like, look, Luton at home is a game that Liverpool should be winning. Let's just have it yeah, out. Of right? Luton have been decent at home, but their away form has been pretty yeah. terrible, yeah. right? So it is a game that Liverpool should be winning, but to do it so handedly and to do it with this many, like kind of the players that are supposed to be the cover or the players that aren't supposed to be playing this year, it's just incredibly impressive. And it does make you feel like the fairy tale ending for Klopp is, is coming. And personally, if Arsenal don't win it, I would much rather have Liverpool win it than City win it because at least it's someone who isn't City and it would be nice for Klopp, I think. And it does, there is a bit of a feeling. There is a bit of a feeling. I think that loss against Arsenal has really kicked something in them mm. and they've been like, right, well, this doesn't have to define the season, yeah. right? And it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. Um, for Luton, no real shame there. My boy, Ogbene, scoring, <laughs> opening the scoring, um, had Liverpool on the run for a bit. He is going to be a Premier Like, even no matter what happens to Luton, this guy's got a future in the Premier League. I think yeah. he's been absolutely fantastic. And I'm really, really excited about him and his career. Um, I was just really... He's a Liverpool fan as well. Ooh. Growing up, he was a Liverpool okay. fan. He scores at Anfield. He's just... He seems like the nicest guy in interviews and stuff. I'm just super <laughs> happy for him every time he does something. So, really happy for him. Um, yeah, not so happy for Liverpool fans. <laughs> but, you know, we have to move on. I'm bitter and that's fine. Um but the other Premier League news this week was that um, the Jim Radcliffe 25% mm. buyout has been confirmed. Um, it seems like the um, shake that so many United fans were twerking for never really existed. There was a few touches on the um, press release that I enjoyed. One of them was it being in the Qatari flag colours. I really enjoyed. They had that kind of maroon and white yeah. on the thing. I just thought it was quite a nice little... The pettiness uh, I really loved. Um, before we go through the through the talking points that we've kind of got down, I do have to say, and I kind of went off on Twitter a little bit today, a billionaire approaching the government to redo their stadium and renovate part of a city yeah. that he has promised to do during at a time 
And I'm, when the country, millions of people in the country are facing poverty, yeah. like heartbreaking poverty that people are ignoring, right? And it's all because billionaires like him don't pay their fucking tax. Yeah. For him to turn around and say, can the taxpayer pay for our stadium? And our, I cannot tell you how angry I feel right now just at the idea of it. Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck Massively. you. I honestly hope the whole thing tanks and the club goes out of existence because for you to turn around and even have the gall to try and to yeah. try and push that idea when the country is in the state it currently is and people are going through the situations they're going through, it is the most tone-deaf shit I have ever heard. And I think it honestly is disgusting. I think there should be so much more uproar about this guy even coming with this idea. Yeah, Like, it's just disgusting. And I think... But people like people for clubs that he's owned in Nice don't have many positive things to say about him. Like the whole his track record with Ineos and this green thing and the, the fact his whole industry is fucking killing the planet. There's just a lot of issues I have with this guy. I know he's not as bad as the Newcastle owners, right? I know he's not as bad but as the Man still. City owners, but it doesn't mean he's not a yeah, prick, exactly, right? Um, and I just had to get that out there. We can go through the bullet points, but it made me so angry. I just could not. If you paid your tax, the country wouldn't be in half the trouble. I in. thought the audacity of him trying to compare to other projects as well was just absolutely mm-hmm. just mind blown of like, he's got the arrogance to just try and do it anyway. So, you know, he cited things like the O2, for example, the Olympic Stadium, yeah. all these kind of projects that the government have funded, for example, and not m- maybe had a long-term strategy for, he's kind of basically citing the same thing with the kind of, was it the Wembley of the North that he kind of phrased it as? Yeah. Like, wow. The most the most cynical thing as well is to turn around and bring in the North-South divide. Yeah. So not only, and it's, this is going to turn into a fucking politics podcast now, <laughs> but not only is it the fact that the North gets sod all fucking investment, because why would you invest in the North, to then use that as a guilt trip to get the government to pay for something that you don't want to fucking pay for. It is the most cynical shite I've ever heard. And it's just this desperate attempt to try and get the northerners on side, get the locals on side. Yeah. Oh, look, you know, it's the South that don't want to invest. The The issue isn't in, no, isn't the South do don't want to build fucking Old Trafford. It's the fact they won't give us decent train lines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it just, it's the most cynical bullshit. And I just honestly instantly hate the yeah, bloke. Yeah. I, I hope it all fucking dies like it's just awful it really really annoyed me obviously as you can probably tell so we're going to go through the bullet point while i have some tea (laughs) so let's start off with this so obviously his kind of long-term vision for the club is to be uh, essentially the pinnacles of english and european football by knocking the enemy as he put in brackets the likes of liverpool and man city called off off the perch as he kind of referred to it um Obviously, that wasn't the most controversial thing to come out of him. Um, I think the thing that scared a lot of Man United fans was the potential of a refresh decision on the future of Mason Greenwood. Um, That obviously was something that I think Man United fans thought had died and obviously is now being brought back to light because I think the club's hierarchy, including Ineos, probably Mm. thought, do you know what? That loan spell has made it a bit quiet in the UK and therefore there could be an opportunity to bring him back. And he did cite that he would 
um, approach it with Man United traditions and ethics. He quite was quoted here, and um, he'd have to sense out what the uh, fans thought. Now, I don't think any of the fans have changed their perception apart from those twats that you see on Twitter or X that kind of yeah. cause this kind of dilemma to say, well, he's got to move on with his life. That doesn't mean that yeah. kind of, no. you know, that behavior no, was acceptable there and yeah. it's not acceptable now. And the fact that, you know, they kind of bring up this kind of position of, yeah, well, look, she's there. She's kind of raising their kids. They seem quite happy, you know. She's moved on as well. And they're obviously citing the aspects of why didn't she take it further as well if it was such an issue, for example. They're all just... yeah. They're all just incels in their bedrooms are. that have never even talked to a frigging woman. Like, it's just, I ignore course, those people yeah. online. But the thing that really annoyed me, again, and it was in the statement, was we will ignore the hype. Mm. We will ignore the hype around the story. It wasn't hype around the story. It was recordings, pictures, yeah. and I think videos, yeah. right? Or maybe just was, audio recordings yeah. and pictures. That's not hype. That's, That's yeah. evidence that is admissible. Like, that is evidence. So that's, again, I think an incredibly badly worded statement. And another thing where you're thinking, okay, what type of moron person is this who's just taken over the club? Because, again, just an instant PR loss. And just when you think, like you said, that, you, you know, you had those incredible movements of, like, the Man United fans against Greenwood, the female Man United fans against Greenwood, there was so much organisation yep. and made their message so clear the idea that they think that just because he's... I couldn't even tell you how many goals he's got in Spain and I couldn't give a shiny no. shite how many goals he's got in Spain. The Athletics like to record but, it, though, don't they? They like to remind us that he's still down there. That, yeah. Which is really... But annoying. the fact that they think now... Oh, well, yeah, like you said, it's been six months and people will actually just forget and it'll just be like a bantery song on the terraces but no one will actually care. It's just disgusting. It's disgusting again. Yeah. Um, but as you allude to, obviously, there was the aspect of Sheikh Jazim's rival beard and the fact that they were celebrating with an open bottle of champagne at the Monaco Grand Prix when they assumed that they had taken over, obviously, for the whole debacle to kind of uh, extend itself because they had to see off this kind of piece of work at the time. Um, but then also he was alluded to around the Dan Ashworth situation, the fact that he's been put on gardening leave, mm-hmm. the fact that Newcastle have demanded 20 million and he laughed it off saying, Newcastle, what are they thinking? You know, they'll be lucky if they get 10 million, essentially, is what he was quoted as saying. You know, you sh- they should be halving that kind of total, which is typical Man United way. You know, they don't get their way, so they'll just, you know, have a little hissy fit and then eventually they'll just, you know, accept that they have to pay that price. Otherwise they're not going to get that man. And that's where, you know, Newcastle United probably go, it's 40 million now. Do you want him? Yeah, well, exactly. And you wouldn't blame him either. You wouldn't blame him all. You know what? You paid 80 million for Maguire. So this guy, I'm going to (laughs) say, he'll be able to sell Maguire. So let's say 90. (laughs) By the way, we've got a copy of Football Manager now. (laughs) Like that's what they'll do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Turns out the star system's pretty decent <laughs> on it. Um, yeah, no, I don't know. It, I. It's also really depressing that now, like, football fans are getting like really into like administrators <laughs> and stuff. Like, trust, like, don't get me wrong. I love the idea of being a director of football. It's really right? appealing to me, but I don't want to be following who's going from office to office. I feel like football's getting into a really weird place when we're like, oh, we've got your accountant and that means that we're going to like, like, you know, Sky reporters outside the like, 
office blocks or whatever. <laughs> and it's January transfer window. And we can see it's Clive. He's moving from accounts from this club to this club. It's been agreed set fee. <laughs> Jesus Christ! If it gets to that level, I'm, I'm just. It won't be that. Late. It won't I'm be that long. It, it won't be that long away, honestly. Um, but yeah, that's our take on the Manchester United <laughs> takeover, and Jim Radcliffe could go fuck exactly. himself. Is basically 100%. the gist of it. Um, but there was nothing really to talk about in, in Serie A. Lazio have beaten Torino two nil. Yeah, goals from our favourite friend Ganduzi and Cataldi enough to see off Torino, and they did get a sending off as well. It was. Um, Gigi, was it Gigi? Gila, even, sorry. Gila, uh, who got the Gila. second yellow card. Yes. So, um, yeah, it puts Rory, I think, Lazio in a positive position now. Um, they're kind of just behind their They are only now. one point. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, they're only one point behind their Cross City rivals. Five points off the fifth place uh, in Bologna. Now, the interesting thing, before we go, and because we are talking a lot, um, the interesting thing is Italy, with the co- with the coefficient, are currently top yeah. and ahead for the fifth place becoming the Champions League. The Premier League got too cocky again. It looks like it's between Italy and Germany as it stands. Um, so Bologna could be increasing their chances of a European... Um, your Champions League place, Beautiful. they'll just really need to hope that Inter, Milan, and Napoli go as far as they possibly can, and Roma, in the European competitions. Um, oh, I'm sure. Right? <laughs> uh, all of them, <laughs> all of the teams, uh, <laughs> will go as far as they can in Europe. Um, but yeah, an interesting one to keep an eye on there. I think Premier League are currently fourth in the yeah, rankings. They're quite third. They're not really they're quite close behind to it. at this stage. Yeah. Yeah. So it looks like it could be Serie A, which is mm-hmm. super exciting. But guys. Faster. I think we're going to finish yep. this bit, yep, right? Yep. We're going to take another quick break and then it's the previews. Yep. So we are going to preview the weekend after this. Hi, I'm Phil Brown and you're listening to the Anglo-Italian podcast. And we are back. <laughs> Something keeps falling in the background. Um, we are back and it is time for the weekend preview. Yep. And we're starting in England where, of course, all eyes are on Wembley as Liverpool take on Chelsea in the Carabao Cup final. We talked about it. Liverpool, massive injuries. Chelsea, incredibly hard to predict what the hell's going to happen. Adam, instincts about this game? I can't see anything but a Liverpool Uh, win here. Yeah, I was going to say the same. However, we should probably pay a bit more respect to Chelsea of late. They're starting to pick up some form. Obviously, the result against Man City was quite decent. That's all (laughs) I would say. Um, If they can bring that form into this game, who knows? It could be a very open match. I don't think there's going to be a lot of goals, though. I'll be brutally honest. I think this is going to be a very tight 2-1 win for Liverpool. Mm. And I don't think it's going to be necessarily done in a straightforward manner. I think it could be a very late goal that secures it for Liverpool. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, th- I expect Chelsea to give it a bit more of a chance in terms of like giving them a- an opportunity to win this actual game because they've got nothing to lose, Rory, ultimately. Uh, I think yeah. the only thing that will defeat them is the tactics on the day. Um, the- obviously, they've had mm-hmm. a show-off between each other not so long ago and it was pretty pathetic the showing from Chelsea that will probably play on their minds that they want to be a bit more respectful. So that's the way I can see it, Rory. But yeah, do you expect it to be more of a bigger scoreline? I think Liverpool have been getting a lot of like, if you look, look at their results, it's been like 4-1-3-1, I kind of am um, expecting a similar kind of scoreline. I think Chelsea will definitely get a goal because Liverpool, no matter how good they've They're been, don't really seem to be getting clean mm-hmm. sheets at the moment. Um, but I think it would be a fairly comfortable win for Liverpool, I'll be honest. Um, 
in the Premier League, um, starting on Saturday, we have a lot of three o'clock kickoffs, uh, which is nice. We have Crystal Palace taking on Burnley Glasner, yeah. the first game in charge for Palace. That's going to be exciting. Obviously, yeah. Burnley, utter <laughs> shite. But Palace, this is a massive, massive opportunity for them to get a win. If they can't win this, I don't know if they're ever going to win a game. <laughs> um, we have Aston Villa taking on Forest in a bit of a derby there, right? Midlands yeah. derby. I feel like yeah, it's kind, kind of, of derby, but... Yeah. yeah. Um I all the Midlands teams I just put together and go they don't like each other. I'm pretty sure Villa and Forest don't like each other. That should be an interesting game. Unai Emery linked for the Bayern Munich wow. job this week. Yeah. Mind blowing. Um another three o'clock kickoff. We have Manchester United taking on Fulham. Um we'll see if Dan Ashworth is able yeah. to get the new director of football a bounce and get Manchester United continuing on this great run of form. Of course, Hoyland scoring in his last mm. six games. Can he make it seven? Will be fascinating to see. Fulham away from home have been pretty terrible, so I would expect United to get a decent result here. Um, and the last of the three o'clock kickoffs we have on the Saturday, we have Brighton taking on Everton. Everton looking more and more in trouble as the weeks go by. Everton, uh, Brighton, fresh off a pretty convincing win uh, from the back of my mind. Yeah, 5-0 yeah. against Sheffield United. I feel like that could be a similar scoreline there. Later on, on Saturday, we have Bournemouth hosting Man City, praying for an Andoli Iriola uh, miracle here. I think this could be a difficult one. Bournemouth at home have been pretty, uh, pretty decent, but we know that Man City are ultimately going to win. And then, not controversially, not in the Newcastle kick, in the Newcastle United's oh, wow. time slot, the, the the population in Riyadh are going to be rioting <laughs> and they're going to have to stay up later to watch the game. Um, nine o'clock on Saturday or eight o'clock in the UK. Um, Arsenal taking on Newcastle. Uh, we've gone from one incredibly cynical team in Porto to probably an even more cynical team in Newcastle. I'm just praying we beat them because their fans are horrible online. Um, on Sunday, we have Wolves taking on Sheffield United. Sheffield United yeah, will definitely lose. And on Monday, we have West Ham taking on Brentford in two teams that cannot buy a win no. at the moment. Um, it, how do you see West Ham? Could they get a win here? They need something. This is going to be interesting. Both sides not in particularly great form. Um, I think I, I personally see Brentford getting a result. Um, they always seem to get a, like more than just a point when it comes to this fixture. Mm. Um and yeah, West Ham just yeah they seem devoid of any confidence. Rory, that's that's the only thing that I get the feeling of. It's they terrible. just seem terrible at the moment. Despite the quality, I would say arguably West Ham got probably better quality than their counterparts. I just think look, Thomas Franks is going to know this is a really critical game. Given that West Ham aren't in great form, they've got to go for it. They've got to go for it. So mm. I think this is going to be a win for Brentford. It might not be a spectacular game, wow. but I think it could be. One of those that, Rory, it could be a 1-0 or 2-0 win for Brentford, but let's wait and see. And any fans, if I inadvertently upset you by calling your team shite as I ran through that thing really quickly, I apologise, but the chances are your team are shite. <laughs> um, Adam, let's go through Serie A. What have we got to look forward let's to this start weekend? Off, if you're listening to us on Friday evening or Friday in general, we have got the first fixture, which is Bologna taking on Hellas Verona. Rory, uh, Bologna have a great opportunity to extend their kind of points tally to cement that at least fifth spot for a few days. And um, yeah, Hellas Verona are in form, so I don't think it's going to be plain sailing. However, yes, I expect Bologna, the way that they're playing at the moment, 
I think that could be an easy victory for Bologna, but we'll wait and see. We'll move into Saturday's fixtures. A bit of a six-pointer here, Rory, because we've got Sassuolo taking on Empoli mm. at 2pm. Massive game for both clubs, in particular Sassuolo, who can't seem to buy a win at this moment in time, but Empoli in good form with David Nicola at the helm. We'll move into 5pm. We've got Salernitana taking on Monza. All I can see is Monza winning here, Rory. Um, Salernitana in bad and dire straits at the moment and then we move into 745 kickoff which is Genoa versus Udinese now we would normally joke about this Rory and say Udinese get a draw I think Genoa is going to win this one but on a more somber point controversial point uh, we did see midweek the announcement that Jared Delefeo may not be able to come back from his injury and he may have to retire Uh, Rory quick word Delefeo I'm gutted because the form that he was demonstrating at Udinese was so fantastic. I thought he was kind of reborn as a player, um, showed that promise that he showed all those years ago at the likes of Watford, Barcelona and Everton to a degree, I would say. Um, Probably more Watford and Barcelona. Um, But yeah, Mm -hmm. disappointing, isn't it, to see his kind of career potentially end in this manner. Yeah, always just a really solid player. Always chipped in with more goals than you expected. And I just remember that I had him at Infanta Calcio mm. for like two years in a row. And he was just my ace in the pocket. Like every so often you just play and you'd get like two goals or a hat trick or he'd just like score a screamer yeah. or something. You'd be like, oh, I fucking love this guy. This is why I bought him. Just a really pleasurable player to watch. So I'm really, it's really gutting to see that he might have to retire. We hope that he doesn't have to. We hope that we see him back on the football pitch. But if he doesn't, we hope that you enjoy retirement, uh, Gerard, and that you are able to kind of, you know, stay in the game in some capacity. Um, you've given us some great moments and Udinese fans will definitely miss you because they could do with you now, I'll tell you yeah, that. It's such a disappointing bit of news that we heard over the week anyway um i'm going to move into sunday's fixtures now rory and i don't know if you saw massimo allegri's leaked tactics or training regime that he had over the week um so he's doing two sets of teams one was a 4-3-3 formation with the likes of uh vlavic kiesa nildes in one team and on the other he had the likes of timothy weir and kostic um and they were supposed to be the wing-backs crossing, but I couldn't work out who was the target man. They didn't have a target man. So therefore, I don't know what Massimo Allegri was trying to achieve. But anyway, Rory, Juventus have got Frosinone. Uh, that's the 11.30 kickoff. Obviously, they need a win to get back any hopes of the Scudetto race. Um, well, let's see. I'm expecting there to be a potential draw here, Rory, personally. Uh, that would be quite mm-hmm. funny. Um, we'll move into 2pm and we've got Calgary taking on Napoli must-win game for Calgary, but obviously Napoli with Calzona. We'll see if he can get something out of this team. I'm sure he will, Rory, and I'm sure the quality will tell on the day. We're moving to 5pm. Lecce take on Inter at home. This could be an interesting match, Rory, because both sides Mm. are picking up some decent form. Obviously, Inter running away with the league at the moment, but Lecce won't be easy down the south there. But the big game, Rory, is 7.45 on Sunday. AC Milan taking on Atalanta. I did mention about Atalanta's run-up, and this is the start of it. So they take on Milan. Obviously, we joked about De Ketelera potentially getting a goal here. Um, but how do you see this game pan out? Because obviously, Milan will be hurting from last Sunday's outing against Monza. Um, Atalanta in good form themselves. So do you think Atalanta can cause a shock here? 
I think they can, but history is not mm. on their side. Um, in the last two seasons at the San Siro, they've lost and not even scored a goal. So their record at the San Siro isn't great. In their last nine me- meetings against Milan, they've only won three. So I think Atalanta historically haven't done fantastically against Milan. That being said, this Milan is incredibly unpredictable, incredibly inconsistent, uh, incredibly leaky at the back. And Atalanta have been scoring quite a lot. I think this game is going to be like a 3-2-4-3 kind of goals everywhere. But I do think I'm going to back back Atalanta to get the win. Milan have played midweek. Atalanta haven't. I think Atalanta could get the result. Yeah, definitely. I think if you've seen the defending from last weekend, I don't think that's going to improve. And Atalanta, like you say, Rory, in free goal scoring mood at the moment. So if you've been listening to us quite well, uh, well done. Um, you will know that Torino and Lazio play tonight. They also take on some fixtures on Monday evening. So the first one is Roma at home to Torino at 5.30. And then 7.45, we've got Fiorentina taking on Lazio. And Rory, that's going to be a bit of a bang, I'd say. But that's where I'm going to end it. So that's your weekend's results Beautiful. or fixtures for this weekend in Serie A. And I cannot wait to talk about it all on Monday. Of course. I cannot yeah. wait. But... We are going to take another break. We're spoiling you with these breaks today, listeners. So Very many grateful. breaks. And we're going to come back with Tiki Taka Toe. See you there. And we are back. It's time for the Tiki Taka Toe quiz. And in the interest of speed we've got the board already on the screen it's right here guys you can see it uh for the people who aren't watching online we've got along the top sheffield united liverpool and spurs and along the left we've got scotland west ham united and netherlands tricky 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 (laughs) i'm trying to buy myself time to think of players right um, Adam, I think I went first last time, so you get to go Ooh, first. Thank you. So let's go with Sheffield United in Scotland, and I'm going to go for John Fleck. Flack. I apologise for that terrible Scottish accent, but John Fleck, there he is. Um, I'm going to go Liverpool and West Ham, and I'm going to go for Mascherano. Very good shout. Well done there, Rory. Uh, we'll go with Liverpool and Scotland. Andy Robertson. Robertson. I wasn't. I was so close to doing another Scottish accent <laughs> then, but I thought I can't do it the whole way through. I can't commit to it. So I'm going to go. Oh, Tottenham and Scottish. Tottenham and Scottish. This feels like it shouldn't be this hard. And there's probably someone I'm missing who's obvious. But in the Premier League, Tottenham and Scottish. Um, it, it just you don't have to obviously say it, but is there an obvious there one? There is I'm not one. Thinking of? Well, that means you've got one, so I've got to try. <laughs> uh, fuck. Um, I try not to pay attention to Spurs players. Let's put it this way. I don't think there's been many Scotland Tottenham players that have been about in a Premier No, I don't League think there's era. been. That's how difficult this is, but it just happens to be that one player that I do know has played for Spurs and has played for Scotland as well. Honestly, no one's coming to my mind. <laughs> Like I say, I was was like Colin fucking Hendry or something, (laughs) but I know he didn't play for fucking Spurs. When I say it, you're going to be kicking yourself. (sighs) Fucking Simon Davies as well. Fuck it. Um, Okay, I'm going to bank on the fact that you don't know anyone, even though I know you do. Um, And I'm going to go for West Ham and Spurs, and I'm going to go for Defoe. Good shout. 
well done. So hopefully, Rory, this kills the tie off. So it's Spurs in Scotland, Neil Sullivan. Oh, yeah, I was never getting yeah. that. Not in a million years. Yeah, fuck, absolutely fair I'll be play. honest. I, I assumed that guy was English. I don't think there's been many Spurs and Scottish players that have played in the Premier League play, uh, era, should I say. Um, I'm going to try and bring it up, Rory. Um, the other one you could have had was Alan Hutton. Uh, Colin Calderwood is Not another one. Um, but otherwise, you're going... <sighs> Pre that time, um, there was a player, young player that I recall, uh, Jordan Archer as well. It's one of them. Um, no, I yeah. feel like you're much better at this game than me. Absolutely fair play. Yeah. Neil Sullivan, bloody hell. I never thought that guy was Scottish. Anyway, well, he wasn't, was he, um, technically? <laughs> no, well, that's what I mean. <laughs> Not really. Anyway, yeah. good. Well, congratulations, Adam. That's a cracking win. Thank fair you. play. Um Good. Well, listeners, thanks for joining us. Um, as always, please do give us a rating on your chosen podcast app of choice. Leave us a comment if you're feeling particularly angry, happy. Um, Any of the above. I don't know. Um, melancholic about this episode, <laughs> however you feel. Leave us a ma- leave us a rating. You can find us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod, on Instagram and TikTok at Anglo Italian Pod. Make sure to follow us on TikTok, please. Um, and you can find us on YouTube every Monday night at half past eight GMT for our live Monday night Euro review show where we review all of the Premier League and Serie A action. It's always great, every single time, without fail. So we will see you there. Adam, anything to say before I send these people home with a quote that I now need to get well, on my phone? I'll try and drag it out for you, Rory. Um, hope you have a good weekend. And we are hoping that we've got an interview lined up with someone that we've been trying to get on the f- show for a long, long time. Me and Rory will tell you after this kind of interview how long it's taken us to get him on to do just an interview um but you will be spoiled because this guy has got a fascinating background um you will remember him as well he's had a number of clubs in both Serie A and the Premier League so that should give you a bit of an appetite for who we've got coming on the show but Rory with that we'll send off the listener with your quote now I am absolutely praying that this gets pulled off by the way <laughs> um, and we're just going to leave with the Delafeu quote really it's just it's months that I know there's a chance I might never play again I can't do what I love for a long time it's been more than a year now you can't imagine what I'm going through I'm trying everything to come back I've accepted the idea that I could also not play again Delafeu, we hope to see you again soon and our thoughts are with you. Guys, we will see you on Monday. Arrivederci. Ciao. Adopo. Ciao. Sports Social Podcast Network.